Welcome to the latest episode of Digital Health Matters, the podcast for everyone who wants to hear from digital health thought leaders around the hot topics, innovations and emerging technologies in healthcare. I'm your host, Pat Burns, Healthcare Growth Director at 6B Digital. And today I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by special guest, Matt Newman, Deputy Director of the Accelerate Access Collaborative at NHS England. The Accelerate Access Collaborative is a unique partnership organisation that seeks to make the NHS a great place to innovate for the benefit of patients, clinicians and researchers. They're passionate about supporting innovation to solve some of the biggest challenges facing the healthcare industry, leading to a more sustainable future. Matt is part of the leadership team at the Accelerated Access Collaborative, which includes the recently launched NHS Innovation Service, which offers free expert advice, guidance and support for all types of healthcare innovation, from startups to established enterprises on everything from creation to commissioning and adoption. So we're absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast, Matt. Thank you so much. And for anyone unfamiliar with the Accelerated Access Collaborative and the NHS Innovation Service, can you give the listeners an understanding of who you are and, and what you do? Well, thanks for the introduction and great to be with you today. And let you summed it up really neatly in terms of us being a, a you know a unique thing that brings together the NHS, the wider health family, the health regulators industry, crucially, patients, charities, uh, and researchers. So it, it really is, it works in a different way because of that collaborative nature. And we come together to problem solve, to support innovations getting into the hands of clinicians and, and patients quicker. So, so, so it is different. One of our key aims, as you said, is the NHS Innovation Service. So we launched that into public beta in July last year. I'm really excited about it. It's, as you said, a free platform. It's another collaborative thing. It's interesting because it's got partners that are a bit wider than the NHS. So at the AAC, big pardon, it's wider than the NHS too. It covers England, Scotland and Wales and hopefully Northern Ireland soon. And as you say, there's guides on there that give you advice and, and support through each stage of ideation, creation, getting through things to market. But what's really unique about it is it's got a needs assessment service in there as well. So if you complete an innovation record that will be picked up by a team of needs assessors based at a couple of the academic health science networks, and they will look at that innovation record and then actively support you and refer you into where you need to be based on where you are with your journey. And that could be one of 25 or 26 now support organizations if you choose to share your information with those support organizations and they'll be able to see everything on your innovation record and through the service you can start to have a dialogue everyone can see that communication and those messages so you don't have to repeat yourself and what we're trying to prevent is people getting sent in circles where you refer to one person who you refers back to that original person it's open to absolutely everyone it's free we may refer you into some paid for services be aware of that but the actual innovation service itself is free and we're open to uk companies but increasingly used by international companies as well that are looking to to work with the nhs so 
getting a bit of traction across Europe. We've got quite a few Irish companies that are on mm-hmm. there. So it's a great resource, we think, but it is in public beta. So we're really open to feedback as well. So that's that's the other thing on there is want want to hear what people think about it. Oh, intriguing. So we speak with digital health innovators on a day-to-day basis, you know, helping them solve some of their key challenges. And really interesting hearing the insight and background as to the innovation service. How can innovators get involved and get started with the innovation service? It's really easy. So we're at innovation.nhs.uk. So that's that's the plug, innovation.nhs.uk, I said twice. So when you go to that, we've just put a new landing site on it, which has a bit more information. So the guides are now really, really easy to access. And they're very, well, we hope, logical. But again, give us feedback on how that works for you. You can then go through and create that innovation record. We do collect a fair bit of information. It's just been updated. So we hope it's easier to use than ever and actually more useful for the support organisation. So what that means is they'll ask you fewer clarification questions down the line. So it's all there. It's really easy to use. As I say, it's free and and there's opportunities to provide feedback. And we'll survey you on your experience as well. So yeah, I'll say it again, innovation.nhs.uk. It's all there. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine coming on and giving the plug. I think that's that was all part and parcel. So yeah, really useful. So I guess given the scope of the innovation service and everything that you've just, you know, how you've just described it, I'd argue that you've got a front row seat to some of the most bleeding edge innovation in in healthcare. How important is digital health innovation to addressing some of the biggest challenges facing the NHS? Yeah, I mean, so you're right. And it's really exciting to see what's coming through. The other interesting thing I'd say is it's interesting the amount of established or or establishing later stage products that are actually have got to a, a level of maturity, but need that extra push piece of support that we see through the service as well so it is absolutely for all stages you could be mature have good real world evidence but not have a sales rate so so it's for that too but to your question digital is going to be critical it is so important and i think we are we, we've seen a real commitment to that so the recent budget had specific money in it for digital innovation to address our biggest challenges. So it's only going up in importance. It's politically important, which is is helpful, but in practical terms, in terms of all the, the biggest challenges we face, which are needing to do more with the same or less and really supporting our workforce, digital plays a really unique role in both of those things because it should allow us to increase efficiency, it should allow us to increase effectiveness as well, depending on the type of thing that you're looking at. And so it's, in some respects, you can't understate the importance of it. It's a very big topic though. So it's not the panacea and there's lots that goes with it. And it's reflecting on some conferences I've been to recently, which is the understanding that digital as a product is one part of it. this is where the AC plays a role and actually the broader transformation directorate and and colleagues that were in NHSX before that now sit in NHS England's transformation directorate is thinking through what's the, what are the other changes to really get the best out of the digital thing and actually for 
innovators and people working in this space. I mean, it's kind of the biggest piece of advice that we can give, which is the product itself, you probably know really, really well intimately and get, but how does that fit into a broader care pathway in health terms or workflow and other terms, depending on the kind of thing that you're looking at to really enable that change and enable us to chat to address the challenges. So that's one side of it. I think the other side of digital as well is that the regulation is is rushing to catch up in some respects and it's really different digital health and med tech for that matter, which would be more devices compared with medicines where there's real pathways for innovating and, and routes into the system. So loads of work going on in that area too. Yeah, really, really interesting. I think your answer there feeds into another question that I'm going to ask further down the line. So I'll, I'll come back to that. But you talked you talk previously about, you know, the uptake in the innovation service, the, the interest that you've seen both, you know, locally, regionally, I guess, domestically, and but also internationally. So that begs a question for me, which is that, you know, the NHS is an obviously a crowded market. It's a real focused market for a health tech startup scale up both in the UK and overseas. So what do you see are the key challenges facing innovators looking to break into that crowded NHS market? And how can innovators help establish a competitive advantage in this landscape? Yeah, look, it is a crowded marketplace, but there are also on both sides. So there are a lot of suppliers and a lot of suppliers looking to break it, but there are lots of buyers as well. And, and as you've said, you could sell nationally, which frankly happens rarely, regionally a bit more, you've got the ICBs, you've got trusts, you've got primary care. So there's, there's lots of customers as well. So I think, again, it, it kind of goes back to what I said before, there's, that you always need to think through who the customer is for anything that you're doing, any innovation, not just digital, anything actually. You really need to think through who's going to buy it, how are they going to buy it? And definitely something the innovation service can support with is connecting you in with both NHS supply chain who are on there, but also they're obviously less relevant on the digital side, but uh, but the transformation directorate have access to, to what's on there as well. And that's the kind of team they're looking at. But loads of work going on to, to really think through how we support innovation to get into that marketplace and be purchased. So that, that, that commercial side. But in terms of thinking through what you're doing and how you can create that kind of competitive advantage. I think there's a few things. So there's thinking through and solving an actual problem. So there's a lot out there that we see that is a great product, but it's not designed around the problem. It is just a really interesting product. And that's really then hard to apply. And as I said before, if you think through that pathway change, it's really hard to do that because you've got something interesting, then everything's kind of is the tail wagging the dog a little bit, especially when you've got to prove yourself clinically, that becomes really difficult. We are in the AAC also really focused on a few areas. So addressing the biggest health challenges around health inequalities. So there's the core 20 plus five out there. So if you're working in a space that addresses one of the big health inequalities or the five disease areas pulled out in the core 20 plus five or the life science vision missions, which is the government's overall life sciences strategy that was released about three years ago now. 
and we're particularly focused around kind of early cancer diagnosis, cardiovascular disease, neurodegeneration and mental health, and, and, and a few other areas as well. Stroke is obviously linked in with CBD, but a big focus there. So if you're working in those areas, I think that would that would really help. And or if your product could pivot to be in those areas, I think mm. that would that would be out. And I think the other thing is, it sounds blindingly obvious, but there are we see a lot of Me Too products or a lot of iterative updates on or a lot of minor changes. And actually, iterative updates by the time you've re-engineered the pathway or something like that can actually not. Div- deliver financial benefits, might deliver a marginal clinical benefit, but it might not deliver financial benefits. So those things are going to be really, really challenging to adopt. So it's, as I say, it sounds obvious, but having something unique and that, you know, not necessarily disruptive, but is a step change enough from what already exists is a real way to stand out. And obviously being on the innovation service. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I guess speaking of or following that line around disruption, you know, everywhere you turn now, whether it's news outlets, social media, uh, conversations at events, artificial intelligence is a key theme, right? Mm. And uh, sometimes positive, other times negative. I'd love to hear your take on AI in the future of, of digital health. Yeah, so you're right it's everywhere it's all it seems every conversation comes back to this and and I, genuinely i was at a conference yesterday and someone read out part of a speech written by chat gpt which was it was all right it was good uh, so it's it, it is everywhere and and to be honest i think we're still working out how we'll safely use it actually so i think the you know the the, the kind of generic llm so chat GPT, Bard, that kind of thing. You know, they've got some, they're undoubtedly hugely powerful tools. I don't think we understand yet quite how powerful, and that's that's clearly what the discourse is at the moment. But but they're probably not medical tools. And I would be, I I think the, until you really understand the kind of how they've been trained and the feed and the bias in them, then building something on those, I would, I I don't know, I'd, I'd be, interested if the, I don't see if that that's necessarily the way but you know there are people out there that are building the large language models medically trained and and specific yes. and, and doing some really interesting stuff I think there's already some really interesting applications of AI that are out there in the market so this isn't you know this is happening this is not in the future clinical support clinical decision making with AI seems completely like that seems like a maturing market and, and it will happen. And some of the more administrative tasks that may have been looked at by RPA fairly recently, I think are absolutely right for AI. And again, it could really address those big challenges and release workforce. And if you think about how the, how AI could support some of the clinical interactions and you could speak to something and it fills out your, med- your medical records, if you're going to a new GP's practice, for example, it, it, those are obvious places. I think there's a couple of things in, in the AI space. We need to understand how, you know, th- there's some well-known examples of where it is shown to be biased or, mm. you know, the original bard was taken down because it descended into being, I don't know, 
it wasn't giving good results. Let's put it that way. So we need to understand how the models don't introduce bias and just training models on current medical texts, for example, won't probably be enough because if you look at some of the innovations that we support in the AAC, they're trying to address, for example, racial bias. So a lot of medical text is based on white skin. And we saw the whole thing during COVID about pulse oximeters. Actually, if you've got darker skin tone, they're, they're ineffective. So we under medicalized and under treated those people with darker skin tones. So that that's just a little example of how we're going to have to understand when we're training models that we don't introduce further bias. And there's some really interesting work going on at through a team in the NIHR setting the standards around not introducing bias into the model. So that so we could we you know that's worth looking up. There's also the bit around understanding how, and this was a concept again that's been introduced to me recently, but understanding how they don't work and understanding how AI makes mistakes. So we know that it won't make mistakes in the same way as humans. So it won't replicate that, but it will make mistakes and understanding how it makes mistakes can make it safer. And the final bit is, you know, the regulations catching up and Don Kushnan's team doing masses of work around getting those AI regulations in place. But look, massive, massive potential could be really interesting or will be. It's not could be. I think it will be. Yeah, incredibly, incredibly interesting. And yeah, I think there's a there's a piece there or a key theme there, isn't there, around bias, mistakes and, and regulation. Yeah. So I wonder if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about the digital regulation service and how yeah. that could help when it comes to AI. Yeah, it's it's. It's a really great service. So that's also just launched recently into, into public beta. So we work really closely with the team developing that, that service in, so the digital regulation service and the innovation service don't offer the same thing, but they, they very much sit alongside each other. That service is owned by the regulators, if you like, so NICE, MHRA and CQC own the digital regulation service and they keep it updated. It's biggest differences, it's self-service, but it, really does take you through how you get from you know that ideation piece and, and what you need to do from a regulatory perspective at each step including is the thing that you're developing going to be considered a medical device because you'll go down a slightly different path if you are as opposed to not and then where you need to register how you bring it to market how you can get it into into commission's hands if you so as I say, that's that's all kind of a self-service thing, but you can connect with the team there and they will help, but they might refer you into the innovation service if you need some, you know, need to create that innovation record and have that conversation. I mean, our view is you should probably do both anyway, because there's a good reason to have an innovation record. We'll be looking at it to understand what's out there on the horizon, but it brings together the key... It's unfair to say it's the basic, you know, it's not basic regulation, it's advanced, but this is the minimum set of things or plus some best practice stuff that you really need to do if you're developing a digital product to, to get to market in the UK from a regulatory perspective. And again, the digital reg service, it will, it will advise where you need to go into some paid for so it's, it's free to access but there are paid for elements so registering your product with the mhra is a paid for thing uh, and, and nice offers some paid for services where they can help you develop real world evidence which is going to be you know absolutely critical 
So entirely a complementary service and they work well together. Fab. I think that makes a lot of sense. So that, that final piece that you touched on there around real world evidence, that's been a sort of a key theme that I've taken from all of you, you know, every, every question that I've asked you thus far. And we recently had Liz Ashall Payne of Orca on the podcast. And we had a, we had a fantastic conversation around real world evidence about digital health innovators making sure that their solutions address real world problems, which is something that you've touched on a, n- a number of times, you know, including patient and clinician feedback from the outset. I'd love to hear your view and the innovation services view on this, on, on the importance of this. Yeah, again, it's one of these things, it's hard to overstate. It's becoming more and more important. And especially as we've touched on with understanding bias and, 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 and we, you know, the point of it is to understand or to demonstrate how your innovation or product works in the wild, not in you know, controlled environments and also on the population, because it's easy to know the kind of flaws in research, although we're doing a lot of work to make volunteering for research much easier. And you can now volunteer for research to the NHS app, by the way, apologies for another plug, but that is a really, really good kind of new thing that we've, the AC has, has helped support recently, but, but you can't understate the importance of real world evidence and showing the effectiveness in the kind of clinical settings that, that, that you're trying to, to kind of sell into. So it's the way that NICE is moving as well and the, the way that they're developing guidance around products. On the innovation service, you can get support from academic health science networks, so the AHSNs, and they are absolutely set up to support development of real world evidence through linking in with local trusts and clinicians, getting that feedback, as you said, Pad, and understanding how your product works. It's, you know, you said it in the question, we've touched on it loads, but having being able to show that you solve a real problem and that's part of your core value proposition and that the, what you've done is effective. And actually in developing real world evidence, you might find it's, it's really good at something else. And this is how some of these products pivot, right? There's loads of examples of that, but just really, really critical. And it, it will allow us as a system, so from a regulator's side or regulatory perspective, I think it allows us to be, allows us to, to move a little bit quicker. So if you rely on massive RCTs and, and there are flaws in doing RCTs for some digital, in fact, for digital products and different pathways as well. So, you know, whilst it remains the gold standards for pharmaceuticals, actually molecules actually outside of that, the kind of, there's some questioning about the efficacy of them. So there, if you can gather real world evidence and show that effectiveness relative to the population, it helps everyone move quicker and us to be a, you know, it's not about being light touch, the standards and the, 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 the requirements are still there and the, the thresholds haven't been dropped, but the way that you achieve those thresholds probably is it's a little bit more out to date, dare I say it. So I th- again, I think that makes total sense. So we touched on the, you know, the importance of from, well, both from your perspective and the innovation services perspective of having patient and clinician feedback included from from the outset when developing a product but just to flip that on its head then to get a a sort of a converse opinion you know what are some of the common pitfalls that innovators would encounter if they fail to do this yeah so so you see this and i've seen this more in the 
the almost some of the digital product space and 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 it's the simplest thinking you know to put it in really simple language it's about doing your user research right and if you haven't done that the chances of you guessing what your users will actually need is you might get it and it might be brilliant but chances are it, it won't and you think of some of the systems that we have particularly in the nhs that that don't have high usability and the result is you don't get the interaction so, so i was reading something and again, completely unrelated the other day but it was something like the most popular i think system in primary care has some of the lowest satisfaction ratings and as a result of that you don't the, the implementation of it is really difficult and you don't generate the efficiencies and the benefits out of the system because you haven't designed it around the user in the first place. So for digital health patients, if it's B2C, then patients will be your users. And, and but patients will be your customer, your commission, you know, commissioners might be your customer who will then provide a, an app or something like a digital product to a, to a patient. I suppose the point I'm getting at is that you can get really good commissioner feedback who will buy your product, but they will struggle down the line if patients haven't been involved in the, and the users haven't been involved in the development of that product because it won't get the uptake, they won't receive the benefits and then the funding will stop. So so that, that sounds like a very blunt way of putting it, but it's, I'd say it's easy to underestimate, underestimate the kind of expertise that patients, particularly those that live with long-term conditions, uh, you know, how much ex expertise they have. But it's not always, uh, the, the caveat I'd give is it's not always required. So if you're doing a, I don't know, appointment optimization tool, then speaking to patients, great, but yeah. actually, you know, you, you, it's got to be relevant to, to what you're doing. And, and that stops it being tokenistic as well. Totally, totally understand. Yeah, it's, it's not user research for user research sake. It's it's doing it properly and and with the right people at the right time. So I think I think that makes total sense. We're actually coming towards the back end of of, of what we've got to talk about, Matt. But I like we always like to ask a, a final question, which is yeah, I'll be intrigued to see how on the fence you will sit from your NHS standpoint. But the last one that we like to ask is who or what are your ones to watch in terms of digital health innovation? You know, we talk about the fact that you have a front row seat to some bleeding edge innovation. Who are your ones to watch for what you've seen coming into the NHS? Yeah, you wanted to see me squirm. So, look, we're, <laughs> so let, let's, look, I'll emphasize it again. We're intentionally neutral in the NHS innovation service. So we are open to everyone and we will provide support to everyone. And yeah, you know, but I would actually, one of the things I should say at the outset is not, you know, not every innovation on the service will make it into the NHS. That's obvious, right? So, but it's worth saying. So it's not a guarantee that the NHS will purchase your product, but you will get some really honest feedback. And some of the support organizations on there might say, as it stands, this there's another competitor in the market that's doing it cheaper or better or there's no way that this could be purchased. So the answer from some of the support organizations, which are the experts might be, you know, you won't, there isn't a route. So it's time to pivot or perhaps it's another geography that you need to go into. So, so I didn't want to start the ones to watch on a, 
on a negative note, but just to be really clear that it's open to, and, and that neutral that point of neutrality is really important to us, but actually the advice you receive will will have a marketable impact if you like. But really excited that we could have the next big thing on there. And and we're already seeing a couple of products have gone through to guidance at NICE, which will, you know, it's another really important step towards the market. I think we're probably a little bit too early. I mean, we're going six months to say this is the exciting thing on there. And, uh, you know, you won't get me off that fence that easily. (laughs) However, however, it'd be boring if I didn't say anything. So there's a load of stuff that the AAC more broadly supports. So through our AI award, loads and loads of really interesting stuff that's run in collaboration with the ai lab and the transformation directorate but just to pull one out there's something on there called brainomics and that is a an ai support for brain imaging that helps the treatment of stroke which is one of the core 20 plus 5 areas that's deployed across five stroke networks now and 23 trusts looking at its performance i'm uh, just looking down at my stats it's reduced, so in one trust, it's reduced door in and door out time, which is absolutely critical in stroke from 140 to 79 minutes. And that has massive, massive impacts wow. on the amount of independence you get afterwards and and your, uh, yeah, the, the, the kind of extent to which you recover and, and survive. So huge. There's loads of really interesting stuff going on in the early cancer diagnosis. And again, that's one of the key areas we're looking at. So we've supported the GRAIL trial, the gallery piece of work in the UK, and massive digital element to that in terms of selection of who went into that pilot, but also some really interesting companies that we're supporting through the SBRI Small Business for Research Initiative, who are doing, you know, the real next step will be multiple tests within one or multiple cancers within one test. That's the kind wow. of next stage forward. So loads going on there. And and then a couple out of our clinical entrepreneurs program that look really interesting. So again, I've touched on it a couple of times, a company out there that does optimization. They, they look at all the kind of factors that of an individual for booking outpatient appointments and the predicts the likelihood of them attending and oh, wow. has, that's in a mid and South Essex with some really, really impressive results. So DNA rates right down. And another one that is kind of aggregating loads of different help desks together. So it's quite simple. You know, in some respects, a simple idea, but really, really effective. And, you know, it's really easy to report defective stuff and uh, and receive real-time updates on, on it getting fixed. The lucky position I'm in, you just see the breadth and depth and, and we'd love to take it all on. But, you know, going back to what we said, it's about proving the effectiveness within the NHS and working out who that customer is and, and solving a big problem. And, and I'm just really excited that, you know, as I say, the next big thing is probably on the innovation service. That's great. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I think that that's the thing that I love most about what I do. And, and I guess what we do in the world that we're in is the conversations that we have with, with innovators and people bringing new products, new solutions to market, that if you're outside of the world that we're in, it's bizarre. It's fascinating that the, the amazing technology that's coming through. So yeah, I love it. But so, unfortunately, Matt, that's all we've got time for. I feel like we could sit and chat all day. But yeah, I just want to say thank you ever so much again for joining us on this week's episode and for sharing some truly fascinating insights into what goes on behind the scenes at the AAC and at the NHS Innovation Service. To hear more from Matt Newman, you can find him on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and we'll share those handles with this podcast. I've been your host, Pat Burns. 
healthcare growth director at 6B Digital. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter also if you would like to connect. And thank you ever so much for listening to the latest episode of the Digital Health Matters podcast. And remember, if you want to hear more thoughts from leading figures in the world of digital health, the easiest way to do so is to subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud or YouTube so you don't miss out. And see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thanks.